Heaven, um, we ask you to bless us now as we turn our attention to your word. We pray, Father, that uh, you will open our hearts to its truth. <clears throat> Lord, bless, bless us as we consider this familiar story. Lord, protect us from the contempt of what is familiar. And rather, Lord, use it to challenge us afresh. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you ever pause to think what it must have been like to be a father at the Battle of Jericho? I imagine not. (laughs) Most of us probably have never thought about that. But it's a good exercise spiritually for all of us, uh, men and women and children as well, but especially for fathers. Just think back for a moment if you were a father back then. What would be your situation? First of all, none of you would be more than 60 years old. The exceptions being Joshua and Caleb. The vast majority of you were born and raised and had begun families of your own during the wilderness wandering. Some of you, of course, would have crossed the Red Sea as children or teenagers Some of you would perhaps even have memories of Egypt. But most of you would have never known a life other than marching about those wastelands, worshiping at the tabernacle, following Moses, and setting up and raising the great camp of the Israelite nation in the barren regions of the wilderness. Some of you would have been old enough to remember the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, but you would be grandfathers by now if you had witnessed that. Some of you would have witnessed your parents and grandparents being dealt with for worshiping the golden calf. Some of you would have been there when the spies came marching in from the land of promise loaded down with the evidence of its bounty But you would have also witnessed the rebellion that resulted in you and your family being sentenced to 40 years of wandering about. When the end of that time was drawing near, Moses, that is that time of wandering was drawing near, Moses and Eliezer numbered the people and the tribes of Israel. And the book of Numbers says this in chapter 26 And verse 63, verses 63 through 65. These were those listed by Moses and Eliezer the priest, who listed the people of Israel in the plains of Moab by Jordan at Jericho. But among these, there was not one of those listed by Moses and Aaron the priest, who had listed the people of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. So when they're on the verge of crossing over, into the promised land, there's not one person in the list who is left who was there that day when Moses came down from Mount Sinai. For the Lord had said of them, they shall die in the wilderness. Not one of them was left except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. You and your families are a testimony to the Lord and his power and his greatness. 
When your parents and grandparents refused to trust the Lord and take possession of the promised land, the Lord had said, and this is in chapter 14 of Numbers now, beginning in verse 28, Numbers 14, 28, the Lord said, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness, and all of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. But your little ones, who you said would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness. Your, you fathers who are about to take down Jericho, you are the little ones, all grown up now, who the Lord, uh, who your parents said would be a prey to the giants of the land. And on that basis, they refused to enter into the land. You're that generation, those little ones. You're all grown up now. And the Lord's about to bring you into that land just like he promised. There are two parts to this testimony of God's greatness. Your father's dying in the wilderness and you're taking possession of the land they said you would die in. Now you're about to go in it and not die in it, but conquer it. Some of your fathers didn't even make it past the very first wilderness battle. Still refusing to trust and obey God, they went out to fight the Amalekites and the Canaanites, and they tried to enter the land without the Lord, and they were cut down in great numbers. Some of you remember events like the rebellion of Korah and its shocking end at the hands of God. In Numbers chapter 16, verse 32, we read this, And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. Some of you might have, been, have, might have even lost your parents in the plague that followed that judgment of the Lord because the people complained against Moses and the Lord and the Lord then brought a plague on the outer parts of the of the kingdom or rather of the encampment and 14,000 died in that plague and you would have been witness to the floods that God brought out of the rock at Meribah along with the other adventures and trials that attended the nation during those 40 years you were witnesses as adults as fathers and grandfathers, to the last words of Moses. He said to you in part, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. This is Deuteronomy 29 and verses 2 through 6. The great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders, But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn off your feet. You have not eaten bread, and you have not drunk wine or strong drink. 
that you may know that I am the Lord your God. You're standing there before this uh, wall, ready to take on this battle in clothes that haven't worn out in 40 years. Just consider for a moment what advantages you've had as a father as you're standing there before this city. You've either seen or heard of the events leading up to the departure from Egypt. You saw the trials, the signs, and those great wonders that the Lord showed you during your lifetime. And now, by his great grace, God has given to you something your parents lacked, something that they didn't have, something that they couldn't gain for themselves. Eyes to see and ears to hear. They didn't have it, but you do now. And God has preserved your very clothing and fed you with manna from heaven and set you apart with a Nazarite-like vow to himself, having had no wine or strong drink all these years. And here you are, a part of the crowd that stood before Moses as he said this to you. This is Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 14, some of his last words. Moses said, but the word is very near you. It is in your mouth, in your heart, so that you can do it. It wasn't in your, you couldn't see it, you couldn't hear it. But now, Moses says, the very word is in your mouth, it's in your heart, so you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you were entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. You see, that promise is not only to those who are gathered there, but to their offspring as well. Now in chapter 31, Moses goes on, and he says this in verse 3, The Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you, so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Zion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. And the Lord will give them over to you. And you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong. Be courageous. Those are the last words of Moses. And now you're standing before this first great city that's opposing your entrance into the land. 
And the words of Moses echoing in your ears, be strong, be courageous. I'm going before you. I will give this land to you. After passing over the Jordan, as your parents and grandparents did the Red Sea, you and your families, you've all been circumcised. You have kept the first Passover in the new land. You've seen the manna so despised by your parents cease. And you're already finding bread provided by God in the land of promise. And now here you are, a father, facing your first great challenge against a fortified enemy shut up in a city of legendary walls and gates. And you're hearing old Joshua, still strong in the Lord though, reminding you of the word of the Lord spoken by Moses and reinforced by Joshua himself. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And then comes the strangest thing. This strange strategy that is dictated by Joshua from the Lord. It's in Joshua chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord, went forward, blowing the trumpets, with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the Ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. Now it's the seventh day. You've done that for six days. Now it's the seventh day. And here you are standing before these formidable walls, waiting for the sound of a trumpet, the command to shout, so that you can attack. But before you attack, you're just going to shout. And when you shout, the walls are going to fall down flat in front of you. You can only imagine as a father what it must have been like standing there, waiting for that signal, waiting to see the glory of the Lord manifested once more by the fulfillment of his word and his promise. The scripture then tells us that when the word went out from Joshua, shout, the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the walls fell down flat so that the people went up into the city every man straight before him and they captured the city or as it says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 30 and that's where this whole story is condensed down to this statement by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled seven days so 
Hebrews chapter 11, this great chapter on faith that we've been studying, takes all that we've just talked about, all that we've just reviewed, and boils it down to that simple statement. The walls of Jericho fell down by faith. Now, it might seem like I'm stretching things a bit by trying to deal with this, the walls of Jericho, on Father's Day. It might even seem like a bit of a strain. But I don't believe so. And this is why I don't think it's a stretch. The first thing is this. The relationship between fathers and their children in this story is a very, very strong one. This is the beginning of the story of how the sons and daughters and grandchildren of an unbelieving people inherited the promises of God by faith. And beyond that, it's the first step in seeing the promise made to Abraham, their father in the faith. This is a a story about families. The rejection of fathers and grandfathers of the word of God and the accepting of that by new fathers and, and their children. It begins with the Lord's promise to their fathers that he would give to them, that is the children, the land which their fathers refused to take from the hand of God. The fathers had used, among other things, uh, the excuse, and it's a lame excuse, that they feared for their children's sake. So they were standing on the verge of the promised land. The spies had all come in. They had the promise of the Lord. They had Moses with them. They were ready to go into the land. And, uh, but when they came back with the report about the high walls and the giants in the land, the father said, oh, oh, well, we don't want to do this because our children might die. Who do you think they were really worried about dying? But that's the excuse they used, at least one of the excuses they used. They'll kill our children. We'll die and our children will die. But now, here are those children standing before Jericho, not dying at the hands of their enemies, but about to defeat the men that their fathers feared more than God by the hand and the grace of God in their lives. They're doing so in perfect accord with the Lord's promise. He had told the fathers of these men and women, your little ones who you say would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. It's the story of how the Lord opened the eyes and the ears of these children to his word and to his truth and gave them hearts to believe. Now, every one of us can trace our own story back to that moment, that moment when the Lord first opened the eyes and ears of someone in our family or perhaps in our ears as we have come to, to, to believe in our eyes. Some of you are in the first generation of that process. Others of you are the children, the grandchildren, even the great-grandchildren, or even beyond that, a part of a godly heritage. Your covenant children rejoicing in the testimony of those who went before you. Or you are covenant parents establishing that testimony for your children 
And you're now living out your faith to the glory of God and as a witness to your children. You really can't separate the story, beloved, from the family context, especially as it relates to fathers and their children. We have seen that day promised by the Lord. In that day, in Isaiah 29, verse 18, it says, In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exalt in the Holy One of Israel. This is the day when the truth of the gospel opens up into the heart of a covenant family. At some point, at some place, that work began by the hand of God. In Isaiah 29, verse 22, we read, Therefore, thus says the Lord, who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob, Jacob shall no more be ashamed, no more shall his face grow pale. For when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, They will sanctify my name. They will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. What that's relating to is for many of you who are looking out this morning and rejoicing over the fact that your children are here with you in the house of God and that your children's children are here with you. And you see what God has done. When, when the people who are Jacob, and that's true Israel, look out and they see not only their own faith, but the faith of their children and their children's children, they will rejoice. They will see the hand of God and be glad. Secondly, this story brings up a vital question to you and me as fathers. And it's a simple one. Do you believe by faith that God actually did this? Do you believe by faith that this day actually occurred? That there was a moment when the fathers of that generation were standing before the walls of Jericho and they were shut up tightly and no one was coming in or going out. And these men marched around that city six times and on the seventh day they marched around it seven times. A shout went out from Joshua. The trumpet sounded. The people yelled in the name of the Lord and the walls of this great city collapsed in front of them. Do you believe that? The distinction of the character of faith between the fathers and the children is very clear in this story. Their fathers, that other generation that died in the wilderness, when it came to action, they feared their enemies more than they feared God. That's what it came down to. It was a critical moment. It was a moment of crisis. It was a moment when they were supposed to step off in the name of God and face the dangers that were before them. And they feared those men in this land and behind those walls 
more than they feared God. Their faith was coupled to what they deemed plausible and probable. And when it came to that point, they said, this isn't probable. This isn't plausible. If we go into that land, we're all going to die and our children with us. This generation, the ones now before the walls of Jericho, they're not of that heart. Guj says, such folly manifests itself in most men. They trust to their wit, skill, strength, multitude of men, and the preparations which themselves make, but seek not the Lord. The faith and the trust of those women in that generation was unaffected by the witness that they had seen of God's faithfulness and of his power. Their faith was a fair weather thing that couldn't endure any serious trial and couldn't step out to embrace the promises of God boldly. In short, they trusted their own judgment and their own assessment above God's word and above God's promise because they were faithless men and women. The faith of their children was, however, the ones now before the walls of Jericho, of a deeper and purer strain. It shouldn't be missed that the very first challenge they have to face is the one complained about by their parents. Their parents said, we can't go up there because they're big walls. And what's the first thing that the children who are taking and going in to possess the land, who they said were going to be a prey to the people behind those big walls, what's the first thing they have to face? Big walls. It's right there before them. This was just that kind of city as is described there. Fortified up to heaven. But as the mere report of such cities petrified their parents and caused them to rebel... These men, now fathers themselves, believe and obey, trusting God to bring down the city for them. And that brings us to come face to face, beloved, with our own confidence in the divinely ordered sacred record of the scripture. And doing so helps you and me to take the temperature of our own faith. If all that you're told here about Jericho is true, and our God did act as this record states, what sort of faith should you and I have in such a God? What sort of worship should you and I give to such a God? If this is really true, If this really took place, if this really happened, which we believe it did, and we say we believe it did, what kind of faith should we have? What kind of men and women should we be? In the context before us, the issue was very clear, wasn't it? In Numbers 14, verse 21, But truly as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despised me shall see it. What the Lord is saying there is, I set all this testimony to who I am before you. 
And there was evidence there of my power and my strength and my love for you and my care for you. And if in the the context of all that evidence, you do not trust me now to go into the land that I've set before you, then you shall die because you're despising me and the evidence of truth. And if we believe this, as part of the evidence is before us of who God is, and every day we should step out in confidence and trust with this God who's made promises to us and to our families. You either believe or you don't, the Lord said to their parents. And if you despise me with your unbelief, you will not see the promise fulfilled. As the Lord told Moses in Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 3, Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. What you have before you, beloved, here in the Bible, is a body of evidence concerning who God is, who we are, and what God has done and what God is doing. And it is the foundation of evidence on which ultimately the gospel rests. This is the the, the foundation on which the gospel rests. These things are true or they aren't. If they aren't, then the gospel has no foundation. But if they are true, and we believe that they're true, it's on the evidence of those things that the truth of the gospel rests for us. Beyond that, if you as a father or a mother or any sort of believer recognize that God brought down the walls of this city by a shout, then your faith ought to be the sort that animates you when you're challenged by trials or you're asked to hope confidently in the promises of God. It is by faith that believers in every age have conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the judge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness. Thirdly, it's your duty as fathers to not just tell these stories to your children, but to pass along your convictions concerning them and your own faith in God and their need for that same saving faith in their own hearts. Asaph, in the 78th Psalm, says this. Psalm 78, verse 2, he says, I will open my mouth in the parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Children, these are not tales. This is not folklore. These aren't things that merely teach moral lessons or relate some clever story. These are the acts of the God we love and we worship in this place together this morning. The God we prayed to this morning throughout this service is the God who said these things to Moses, to Joshua, and those fathers who stood before the walls of Jericho. Is the very same God 
the very same Lord who was there with them before those walls, is the one that we're calling upon today in worship. And he's the God who brought those walls crashing down by means of their shout. We're not addressing a lesser God or one who worked with great vitality in ancient times but is growing old and less potent now. No, children. This God is our God and he remains as he has always been the Lord God omnipotent. That's who he is. That's who he's ever been. Guj says, wherefore, when Satan or wicked men or our own sins or any kind of temptation stand as Jericho in our way to Canaan, pray to him that is able to remove these stumbling blocks and believe as Christ advises. Put your confidence in him. He's the same God with the same power. Now, as important as it is for fathers to convey that message to their children, it's vital for your children to acknowledge it. If you see this sort of faith in your fathers, then you need to seriously mark it and then seek it for yourself through the Lord Jesus Christ. What is it that has brought your parents, your mother and father, to hope in this God, to believe in his word, and to trust his promises. My grandfather, maternal grandfather, played a big part in my being here today and speaking to you of these things. Absolutely nothing I knew about him ever led me to think that my grandfather was a fool or was a simpleton or was naive, or was ignorant in any way. In fact, it was just the opposite. I loved him dearly, but I respected him even more. He was loving, he was kind, he was wise, he was good. He was my grandfather. And my father, he was actually my mother's father, But my father would often say that he never knew a finer man than my granddad, his father-in-law. Now, I'm not sharing this to brag on my grandfather. He was a sinner, like other men, and he'd be the first to tell you that. What I'm trying to convey is this, beloved. There was nothing I knew about him or observed in him that would lead me to believe that he stupidly believed God and treasured the word of God. There was nothing I knew about him that would suggest to me that he embraced this faith because he didn't know any better or because he didn't have any experience in the world or because he didn't know what was real and what was was imaginary. Nothing was there to suggest that he was weak-minded or sentimental That wasn't who he was, or one who just didn't take life seriously itself. No, it was just the opposite. I admired him as a man, but even more as a man of faith. You see, children, when you see this faith in your fathers and your grandfathers and your mothers and your grandmothers, you know they're not fools. 
but men and women whose eyes and whose ears have have been opened by this God. If yours are open too, then thank God right now for for that grace in your life and glorify God for it and for it in your life as well. And if not, then search your heart and call on the Lord for that sort of faith which through Christ Jesus makes you faithful in trials and willing and happy to embrace the promises of God. Go to the Lord who has promised that he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers and look for that grace that your father has found. Not because he's foolish, but because God is gracious. And fourthly and lastly this morning, This story illustrates for us the very nature of the faith that saves. Could those walls come down by the will of God alone? There was, I'm sure, a natural temptation to go about this in some other way. When this word came down, this is our strategy. We're not going to do anything. We're just going to march around, and then when the time comes, we're going to yell real loud. That strategy to 40,000 armed men who were waiting to fight must have sounded very odd. But it was the only way of victory. It was the only way. Calvin says it appeared to be a work childish and ridiculous. And yet they obeyed the divine command, nor did they do so in vain. For success, according to the promise, followed. It is evident that the walls did not fall down through the shout of men or the sound of trumpets, but because the people believed that the Lord would do what he had promised. They, by faith, did as they were directed, and then on the seventh day, after circling the city seven times, the priests made that loud blast on the ram's horns, and the people shouted. But I want you to mark carefully how that shout is described. Before the walls fell and the city surrounded, or surrendered rather, I should say, they were supposed to shout as victors. They weren't supposed to shout as victors after the walls fell, but while the walls were still sounding and the call went out, Joshua said, shout now like you have won already. And they did. They shouted like people who had won the victory, even though the wall hadn't fallen yet. And when that shout of victory echoed out, then the walls collapsed. It's in Joshua 6.16. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. You already have the city. Shout now. Owen says that they triumphed by faith in the ruin of the walls while they stood in their full strength. That is, the walls stood in their full strength. And Dixon adds that it doesn't matter how weak the means be if faith has a promise to prevail by those means. We worship and serve the Lord today, beloved, as those whose battle is won. Death has fallen before us because of what Christ has done. And we take heaven by storm, as it were. 
It's the faith that draws out of us praise to the Lord for his grace and for the triumphant victory over our enemies and his that we shout and we praise him with. We've already won this battle. This has already been done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. All we do is walk forward according to his promise. Calvin says we may also apply this event to our benefit and instruction. For it is not otherwise than by faith that we can be freed from the tyranny of the devil and be brought to liberty. And by the same faith it is that we can put to flight our enemies and all the strongholds of hell will be demolished. We will. We do already, beloved, possess the eternal land of promise. And now, because of our faith, we endure our trials for Christ's sake in a godly way and we enjoy the promises made as though they were full as though we were fully in possession of those promises because nothing can keep us out of the promise of God God having brought us through by the work of his son our whole story is summed up in the words of Psalm 107 verses 11 through 16 Verse 11 says in Psalm 107, For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard work. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. This city, Jericho, like death itself, stood in the way of their entering into the land of promise. The Lord, by destroying the city in the first place, made a ready way and passage for the people of God, as Guj puts it. And thus is exactly what he has done for you and me by destroying death and making a ready way and passage for us through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ for our sins on the cross of Calvary. The generation that feared man more than God was turned away in the wilderness to be tried and to die. The generation that believed God marched through the dust over the rubble of the fallen walls and into the land of promise. In 1 John chapter 5, John says this in verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Come, children, let us pray and shout. The walls have fallen, and the victory is ours in him. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Father, how we thank you for what you have done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the gospel and for the power of that message. And we thank you, Lord, for the body of evidence on which the truth of it rests. 
You are the God who is indeed able to do all his holy will. And with you, there is nothing impossible. You can dry up seas. You can bring down walls. You can be the death of death for us. And we thank you, Lord, this morning for that hope. I pray, Lord, that as every father here this morning surveys his own heart, comes face to face with his confidence in your word, that, Lord, you'll encourage every believer and set the hearts of those who find something wanting, seeking what's lacking through the Lord Jesus Christ even now. And where every child can look up and see a father or a grandfather or a mother or a grandmother or a great-grandfather, great-grandmother, who has put his or her trust in you. We pray, Lord, that they would acknowledge that they are men and women to be admired. And, Lord, seek the God of their fathers with their whole heart. Father, thank you for giving us your word of truth. Thank you for these profound examples of the exercise of faith. And Lord, may we continue to profit from them as we survey them together. Bless the fathers here today, Lord. May this be a blessed and good Father's Day for each one of them as they acknowledge your goodness to them through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.